This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. thinking about you, wondering how you are. I hope you're okay. I hope that you're showing up and doing your best, whether that changes every hour, every minute, whatever. I just hope you're okay. The The, the world is insane right now. Um, I'm tired. That's how I'm feeling right now. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of the systems. I'm tired of white people that won't let go of their uh, attachment to the systems that they have benefited from their entire lives for the sake of another brown life. I'm tired of survivors not being heard. I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm sad. I thought to myself, maybe I shouldn't record today, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to show up and I'm going to do my best. And I'm going to say, this is how I'm feeling. And it's okay. It's okay. And I'm sure I'm not alone. <laughs> like the waves of emotion that continuously just overwhelm me. And I'm a white lady. I can't even imagine. And I don't have any advice or like, what should you do? I don't even know what you should do, except continuously educate yourself, especially if you're a white person. Push the education to other white people. That's all you can do. Support more black women. That's the other thing you can do. Support survivors. Support survivors. Actually, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. If you go onto Instagram and you look up hashtag SAAM, you'll find so many resources and so many other ways that you can educate yourself. There's never enough resources. It's something that you can show. If you have a teen, I would recommend talking to your teenager. There is an account that I would highly recommend. It's on Instagram, Me Too Many Voices, what she's doing on there, especially for this month. I mean, she always has really good content, but for this month, she's been doing IG Lives, and um, they are remarkable. She's had uh, sexual assault lawyers, uh, consent specialists, just it's a great one to follow especially if you're looking for solidarity and community. That is exactly what she's doing. And it's remarkable, honestly. It really is. So, you know, I want to take a moment here. To those out there that have suffered due to someone's lack of understanding of what an enthusiastic yes is, I see you, I hear you, and I believe you, and me too. I'm sorry you went through that, and I hope that this podcast has helped build, touch someone, build someone up, and understand that that's, it's not just you, and we're in this together. This is actually the end of season two, and I'm so incredibly grateful for all of my guests that have been on for this season. Uh, so Grace L, Sarah, Jenna, Andy, Mandy again, uh, Julia, Joanne, Liz, Damon, Given, and now Mindy, who you're going to hear soon. Thank you all for your bravery, your courage, and your time, and your willingness to tell me your story and be vulnerable and thank you to you, listeners, for hearing them and seeing them and being with us all along. I do see that you're listening, 
And there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not incredibly grateful for you, the listener. Uh, so, so, yeah, season three. I'm hoping June I'll start releasing some. Looking for stories? Let me know if you have one. Message me, DM. Let's chat. Uh, it's not weird. Even though it feels weird, it's not weird. It literally is just a conversation between me and you. And I will help prep if you want. I have formats and methods if it's something that you think you might need. And it's cool if you don't. So my next guest, my last season two guest is Mindy. I'm excited about this. Uh, made me smile immediately, even when I'm feeling sad and tired. For Mindy, I picked a quote from the holistic psychologist. I follow them on Instagram, and they said, codependency creates the false beliefs that, one, my worth comes from what others think of me. Two, I am responsible for other people's emotions. Three, I must deny parts of myself in order to be loved or chosen. Four, saying no to my self-care is selfish or wrong. And five, my family's approval is more important than my own needs and wants and desires. I picked that quote because you're going to hear uh, a lot of talk about cycles of addicts and codependency issues. Uh, Mindy is very dear to me. Back in the day, I worked at a restaurant um, in my early 20s. And uh, Mindy was in high school and <laughs> was an amazing bus person and moved up to host. And I moved up to management as well. And we often ran front of the house operations on a Saturday night with a three-hour wait together. And I always just admired her and loved her. She was very mature for her age, like way too mature for her age, and always had a clear determination of what she wanted and a wonderful sense of humor. And uh, she reached out to me to chat about this and uh, we reconnected. Um, it's, it's good. It's really, really good. Uh, you will hear about the impact of a loss of her mother and how, you know, sometimes when your parent has an addiction problem, you often, out of the sheer cycle of uh, the addiction, you end up being in relationships and even a marriage with what you're comfortable with which is another addict, right? So you hear you hear all about this. Um, why she found herself wanting to be so independent, being the child of an addict, which is in turn actually helped her cope and deal when she found herself dealing with all of that on her own, in her own life. You hear what it's like to be married to an addict and having children and how she found a way to break the cycle. Mindy's abilities to understand so fast what codependency was and how it works. And Mindy was like brave enough to get the help that she needed. And um, uh, it, it's really amazing to me to, to hear her talk. Uh, and then at the end, I, I think I actually say it, like she broke the cycle of addiction in her own family for her, the sake of her children. And she did it. Like, ah, uh, it's one of those things that uh, you don't hear very often. And I, it brings tears to my eyes because that's, that's a systemic change. And, uh, small scale, right? Macro, micro, 
all of them matter. All of them matter. And Mindy, you should be so proud of yourself and what you've done. And I'm proud of you. So with that being said, please go in to this last podcast of season two with an open heart and an open mind. No judgment. Thanks for listening. I love you. Hey, so Mindy, where where were you born in the world? So I was born in Toledo, Ohio. Um, yeah, actually, I was born in Oregon, but Toledo's where I Oregon. grew up. So you know, in Oregon, <laughs> we have we pronounce Oregon, and there's like uh huh sweatshirts that say o-r-y-g-u-n because they get so defensive from midwestern people coming here and they'll be like it's oregon so i love telling people my sister lives in oregon ohio right (laughs) yeah yeah um you were born in oregon and were your parents together yep so my parents were together um actually my mom never wanted kids and she had gotten pregnant with me. So her and my dad got married when she was probably about four months pregnant with me. So then I was born um, in November after they got married. And so they were together. And then about a year later, my sister was born. So we're only a year and 15 days apart, my, my middle sister and I, because they wanted me to have, since they knew then they were having a kid after they didn't plan on having kids they wanted me to have a playmate so they had my sister so we were pretty much born back to back Aww. are you close with her yeah we are um we were really close when we were young and then we kind of split a little bit like our lives just went down different paths and then now that we're older we're, we're close again and then we have a younger sister also who's five years younger than me which in the story goes there that my mom actually was ready to leave my dad and ended up getting pregnant with my youngest sister and stayed together then after that when she was born so interesting so yeah what your life was like from zero to five before your before your um third sister or third sibling right was born how was how was your life do you have memories of it um, a very few memories, but what I do remember, um, we had a really happy childhood before I started school and stuff. So my dad worked, he was a construction worker. Um, so he was at work a lot and then he did a lot of side jobs like after work. So it was a lot of times just my mom and my sister and I, and she stayed home with us when we were young. She didn't end up going to work until my youngest sister was in kindergarten. So we, I mean, I just remember like always playing in our backyard. Like we were constantly outside, wow. um, constantly just, you know doing things and she was always like super like interactive with us and play with us and stuff like that so that that part it was really good yeah growing up wow you're lucky to have yeah like that's crazy (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so okay so then your third sister is born well your second Mm -hmm. technically third sibling so yeah and then what happens how's it unravel so then like as we're as we're growing up like I remember going to kindergarten. So she was born right before I started kindergarten. And I just remember like, that was the first like point that I really remember just things being different. Like that I was different, that maybe our family life was different than what some of my friends were, because I had always grown up 
and my mom was one of 10. So I have tons and tons of cousins. So when I was really young, it was just like my mom and my aunts and uncles and cousins. And like, that's who we interacted with and hung out with. And wow. then as I got older and was in school um, and started to make friends that were just like outside of our family and would, you know, go to friends' houses and play or different things like that. Then it was kind of like, I started to realize like that our like family, just things that happened were maybe different than what happened at my friend's houses. And so I like at that point started to feel already at that age, like a, like kindergarten for second grade that like I was different. And I started to have that like yearning and that wanting to just fit in. And it was primarily driven by my dad drank. And I don't know that he's mm. ever considered himself an alcoholic. And it's sort of things that evolved since then that I'll get into, but um, he was very, very high functioning. I mean, up to work every single day, like, but as part of that, it was a lot of control. Like he had certain things that he wanted us to do things. And it was a, you know, my way or the highway type of upbringing, which for, for me, there were some things that like, as I got a little bit older, I kind of like bucked against, but for the most part, it was just like, that's just how it was. And there was a lot of like yelling and things like that, never any like physical abuse or anything like that, but there was definitely like yelling. And I mean, there were times that I felt growing up like, um, like a neglect just because there would be a lot of, you know, I promise you we're going to do this. And it would be things like that normal family, we're going to go to the zoo, we're going to go, you know, Mm -hmm. do this, do that. And then my dad would always end up working or being off, you know, doing whatever, drinking or doing whatever. And my mom would be home with us and we had one car at the time. So it wasn't like she could just load us in the car and go do something. So she would try to make it fun for us to like, you know, play or do something around the house. But I would be like, oh, well, you said we were going to go to the zoo. You said we were going to do this. And then when it didn't happen, like that to me was just very crushing because I was like, okay, when you tell us you want us to do something, we have to do it. But when you say you're going to do something, you don't do it. Mm -hmm. And then that had an effect on me. And it's interesting now because when I talk to like my sisters about it, like now that we're adults, my sister that's a year younger than me, she was like, it was never a big deal because we knew we were going to go. It just wasn't the day we were said we were going to go. And I'm like, but for me, that was like crushing as a kid because I was so disappointed. And then it was like that kind of, you know, gave me trust issues with, at a very young age that if somebody says they're going to do something, they don't do it, then I can't count on that person to do what they say they're going to do. And so like that impacted me early, like really early on. Yeah. Especially if you are born into this world and I don't know if you are being a type A person where you expectations are high and you know, the words that they mean something. Whereas like, and that's a lot of truth for firstborns. Yes. That's what they carry. Yeah, they carry that. But so going back to the yelling a little bit, who was the yelling Mm -hmm. about? Like, was it mostly, so I'm I'm also experienced or I'm like relating to this through my own experience with my father also being an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Like, was there unregulation? So like a lot of my motivation to do the right thing as a kid was led by fear. So I- Yeah, right, right. I would do the right thing so I wasn't yelled at or spanked. Exactly. And that was like, I feel like um, growing up, like I definitely immediately went right into that role of being the, you know, the firstborn in an alcoholic household. Like I wanted to strive for that perfection. I I felt like I had to be 
the perfect kid. And again, some of that was driven by fear. Some of that was driven, not just fear from in, in the house being yelled at or getting in trouble for not doing what I was supposed to do, but also the fear of not fitting in with my peers. So I felt like, okay, if I want to, if I want others to see me and think that everything's okay at home, then I have to be the perfect kid. I have to get the perfect grades, be the perfect student athlete, whatever it was. Like that was such a huge driving force for me that like, I just had to be what I thought everybody expected me to be. And that was ingrained very young as well. Isn't that interesting? Yes. and And it's weird because Growing up, I never knew about those like family roles and dynamics, especially in an alcoholic household. And then you're like, wait a second, other people have this same experience because you don't know, you don't know, because I feel like when you, when you're in that too, and one of the things is like, everything's a secret because nobody wants anybody to know. So it's all a secret. Nobody talks about any of this, you know? And so my whole life growing up until I, and you know, until I started to heal from it and, and really learn about it was I thought I was the only one. That, that felt these things that experienced these things. And, you know, yeah. now knowing better, it's like, oh yeah, I, you know, yeah, definitely not the only one. But that is serious pressure. Yeah. Oh yeah. That you put on yourself there. And then like, were your parents getting along or did they fight? Um, they did fight quite a bit. And a lot of it was with, you know, my dad never being home, which again, he was out working and he had a very, very strong work ethic. And that's one of the things that I think that he still instilled into all of us was, you know, nothing in life is free. If you want it, you have to work for it. So, so that was great. But he also, you know, with his alcoholism, it was, I'm going to go to this side job after work and I'm going to be there from, you know, 5 PM till midnight and then come home and I'm up and I go to work at six and I'm gone all day. So we didn't see him a lot. So when he was home, it was, you know, my mom going, where the hell have you been? You know, what's been going on just in money, a lot about money. And the thing was like, I always felt like growing up, like we didn't have any money. And that wasn't really the truth, but it was that my dad (laughs) did not know how to handle money at all. So he just, you know, spent like, however he felt like he wanted to spend and he had earned the money and he could spend it how he wanted. And then here's my mom, like, you know, walking us down to pay less to buy us a pair of shoes because that was all we could technically afford. Um, but I mean, we did, we went to Catholic school, like that was education was extremely, extremely important, um, to both my parents for us to get a good, good education, which I am absolutely grateful for, because that's part of what's carried me into adulthood to be able to be independent and things like that. But yeah, had I not had that foundation, you know, who knows where I would be right now? Yeah. Well, and like, I think I can only say this being in the position I am, but like, uh, the, the, I'm, I'm saying eighties, even though you're younger than me, but the eighties mentality of like the mom stays home in a heterosexual yeah. relationship yeah. What gets built upon your role as a female person in your family. When the, which I also suffered from this, um, the, the, the man makes the calls, the man spends the mm-hmm. money, the man has the addiction, the man makes the rules, breaks the rules, does whatever yep. he freaking wants. And the woman is left to yep to just fall in line fall in line fall in line and you know yep. mm-hmm. and do be everything careful, be careful how much you fight for it shut up mm-hmm. when like yep. And, yep. And making your dad to be probably more of a monster than it really was but in so many addicts and that dynamic of how all the women form under the patriarchal systems 
and it's mm-hmm. also part of the cycle of your of a, a dude you know mm-hmm. yeah. maybe boomer mentality yeah. you work you work you work you work you never leave a job that you get midwest like yeah. you stay absolutely. with it and you absolutely listen you listen to what i say and like that as a child you just you do the exact same thing like it's crazy yeah. how much well that and that's and that's why I say, like, as I got older, I started to try, like, buck against that. And the way that I did was I made sure that I did get really good grades and went to college because I, like, I remember, like, back in high school, making, like, my life plan was going to be, I did want to get married and have kids, but I wanted a husband who was going to be a stay-at-home dad, and I was going to be the one that worked because I never wanted to have to depend on anybody for anything oh. ever. Like I, it was me and like in high school and stuff, I obviously had job and and waitress through high school and college. But I remember when I lived at home in high school years, every single day I would get off work and I would go to the store and I would buy like one thing, like a toaster or, you know, a set of dishes or something. I would take that little bit of my tip share or my tips that I made and I would take that home and I would go to the store and buy something. And I started accumulating things. And I'm talking like, a few months after I turned 18, I moved out and I had an entire furnished apartment because I spent about four years just slowly buying everything I needed because I wanted the hell out of there the minute I could get the hell out of there. And I wanted to be ready to go. And I was, and you know, my parents did, they supported that. Um, And I just had this, like, I wanted that independence, but it was also, I wanted to be able to make my own rules and do what I wanted to do and not, you know, be under the thumb anymore too right so what was high school like then as you're working and saving up all this Mm -hmm. stuff were your parents still together yeah so they so they were still together um all they actually stayed together until my mom passed away which I'll talk a little bit about that later but um so they were together um and this like for me in high school I excelled so I did very well um academically I did very well in sports again I was that role of being the perfect kid like National Honor Society and I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do to do well but again I still had that like my family life's not the same so right even though I was in sports and I was doing all these things to you know get their attention and, and achieve these things like they rarely were ever able to come to any of my events, like sporting events or things like that. They were, you know, never able to come to like any kind of honor ceremonies or recognition or anything. Ooh. So like I would do all these things, you know, as a way to like get their attention that I was doing these great things and they, they just were never there. And I feel like with my dad, it was more so his addiction that kept him from being there with my mom at that point. She was working then too out of the house constantly because she was making the money that was then putting the food on the table and doing everything else because my dad was doing God knows what with the money that he was making and was still, you know, making good money, but we don't know where it went, what he was spending it on. So she was the one that was working for all of those things. So would she you would you say his there. addiction got his addiction got worse? Oh, it definitely got worse. Yeah, okay. it definitely okay. got worse. And like I said, he was um, a construction worker. So it actually transitioned from alcohol to painkillers. He oh, had an shit. accident at work 
Um, and it was pretty bad and um, fell fallen off of him some scaffolding and had back surgery and wow. they had put him on a prescription for painkillers and yep. then it just snowballed from there. So, and that was around the time that I was in like high school, maybe, maybe freshman year in college, but it was right around that time. So that's oh when it God. really started to escalate. That is was, yeah. That is so much. I I don't I don't want to cry this early on, but like I can really relate. Like in that that mindset, I totally can relate to what that feels like when you're yeah. alone and no mm-hmm. one's telling you to continue. No one's encouraging you that this is important. So the one thing that I really appreciate about your parents is that they did kind of like make it, I didn't even have it at the beginning of my life that education was important. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have that gift. Yeah. <clears throat> that feeling of just like being an overachiever and doing it just basically to prove who you are to right. somebody that doesn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're yeah. just working to fulfill a void that no no one can fill. I mean, exactly. Keep thinking yes. you're going to work harder and someone's going to notice and it's going to make a difference when in reality, it's just a fucking cycle. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and then, and then the other thing too was, and again, this kind of goes back to the whole dynamic of the alcoholic household is then my sister who's younger than me, she went the opposite direction and she became the rebellious one. So then when there was any extra time or attention to give, it went to her because she was getting in trouble. And it was, well, we have to, you know, help your sister because she's in, she, you know, she did something again, or she got into trouble again. And then the focus went there. So then it was like, okay, you know, now I have to just work that much harder because now people outside of the family are seeing my sister, you know, and thinking, okay, you know, is that what their family's like? And I'm like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. Everything's great. We're fine. And, and keep doing well. Yes, yeah, protection, exactly. scapegoat, that kind of like, yes. yes. Yep. Oh yep. my God. My sister too. It was constantly a crisis mm-hmm. so of people yep. that are doing the right thing. Like I would get a B or a C and get grounded and she would get a B or a C and we would go out to dinner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How is that good for her? Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but addiction can yep, confuse that's things. What it, like, exactly right. You know, yep. so okay. So you graduate from high school, you have your little apartment. Like mm-hmm. oh, you're like, I'm I'm getting out of here. This is right not for me. So then what happens? So then I, I started college and I was going to school. Um, I was still working, waitressing and and doing those things and putting myself through school. So my parents paid for grade school and high school for me to go to Catholic school, but they had told me all along, you know, college is up to you. If you don't want to have to pay a lot, do well, get a scholarship, but it's up to you. So I put myself through college and I um, wow. chose, I mean, it was challenging because again, I'm striving for excellence. So I went to school for chemical engineering um, Indeed. and it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Like amazing. So I was in school um, and I always loved school. So it wasn't like it wasn't like I, I was fighting for that. Like I loved learning. I loved reading. I loved like anything like that, learning and knowledge and stuff. So, so that part of it wasn't terribly difficult to like force myself to do that because that was just my personality. Um, but I also had a point in college where, and I, <laughs> it was terrible because I was just, I wasn't getting the, the, 
attention and love that I felt like I should be getting from like my home life, even at that point that I wasn't at home. So I was looking for that wherever I could get it. And I had definitely a phase where I was pretty promiscuous in, oh, yeah. in college and just looking for that love and attention. And um, fill the void, fill the void, any way, shape or form. Exactly. (laughs) And I look at it and I look back at it now and just like, oh, all the the dangerous situations I put myself in that, like, if my my kids did that, I would just lose it. But that's to me, that's what I felt like I had to do. And so, so probably my sophomore year is when I met my ex-husband. And it was like, that was the first time in a long time that somebody was giving me attention. And I mean, we clicked really well. We got along really well. Um, But it was like, you know, I was getting this attention that I've been craving for so long. So even though like early on in our relationship, there were some red flags. It was like, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to make this work. What were they? What were were those red flags? there, he had a lot of similar traits to my dad when it came to the addiction. Of course. Um, at that point, um, he was, you know, did drugs. I didn't do any kind of drugs. I drank. I definitely drank, but I, especially in college, um, but I never touched drugs like that was to me just completely unappealing. I was like, just looked at what I had grown up with and was like, I will never let a substance control me like that because I, I see what kind of havoc it can wreak on somebody. So I stayed really away from that, but that was something that he was into. And was so it hard was drugs an, or was it like marijuana? Um, cocaine. It was cocaine oh, shit. at that Mindy. point. Yeah. And so, um, when oh, we shit. started dating, I had, and we had a lot, it was weird because we had a lot of mutual friends in college, but we didn't meet for a few years and it's bizarre because I'm like, I know we probably were at some of the same parties and things like that and just never had any run-ins. Um, so when we did start dating, I had a lot of close friends who were like, he's not good for you. Like you're on a much different path, like stay away, stay away, stay away. And in my mind, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was already starting with like some of the codependent tendencies, like, no, 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 he's good. He'll change, you know, he loves me. So we're not going to do this again. And the, the strange thing was all those stupid cliches of like, love is blind. And, (laughs) you know, if he loves me, he'll change. Like all those things were like the truth. And you don't, you don't recognize that when you're in that situation, but like, that was the truth. So the crazy thing about it is during this time frame in my, in my early twenties, you know, my mom was kind of in a place with my dad where she was like, I, I don't want to be living this life anymore. I don't want to be, you know, tied down to you in this addiction. And she was like, seriously considering leaving. And I remember like, I would talk to her and I would be like, so just self-righteous about it. And, you know, well then move, then leave him. Why are you with him? And I, I would just like, like, we would argue about it. And I'm like, just, if you're not happy, just walk away. Why are you staying with him? And I remember her telling me like very distinctly. And she would say, I used to be just like you. I used to be very independent, just like you. And she's like, it's different now. And I can't explain it. And it was like that codependency. And I remember, I mean, there were times where like, I would like send her like, here's apartments that are for rent that you can afford that you should just, just leave him, get away from him. And it wasn't that I wanted my parents to divorce and I love both my parents, but it was, I could see what it was doing to her. And I didn't want her in that, 
in that toxic situation anymore. But in the meantime, I am slowly putting myself into that exact same situation and not recognizing it because the denial and the, you know, the love is blind and all that stuff. There's a little part of like, I think the cycles of addiction where like, they're like little girl Mindy's like, I'm going to make this right. This is my redo. And I, I I got this. I can do this. I can make my perfect little family. Like there is this part that there's no way you can recognize that that's happening. That is straight up what you're comfortable with. Like you, he was familiar, your ex Mm -hmm. familiar to you. It was a cycle you could fall into without even like second guessing it. It was comfortable. Like those roles are fucked up. Like how it just whoosh. Okay. So your mom decides against it. Yeah. So she decides that she's going to stay with him. And I felt like she just, she just felt trapped. Like, I don't think that she could see truly a way out. And I think that she was also like afraid. What would my dad do at that point? Because now at this point, he's had this accident at work. So he's not working. Um, So she's the only one who's working. Basically all of her money is getting pulled to feed his addiction because now he's on these painkillers that that legitimately he has pain but at the same time there's obviously that addiction has now transformed from alcohol into painkillers that he's you know just has no control over and so um like all of that's happening and she's just getting you know more and more miserable and I think like the crazy thing is too so when I was, I'll fast forward a little bit, but when I was um, in my early thirties, my mom passed away unexpectedly and she had what she thought was a sinus infection and had gone to the doctor. They gave her a prescription and sent her home. And two days later, she goes back to the doctor and she's like, it's just not getting any better. And they did a, um, a CAT scan and she had a brain tumor. So they biopsied it and it was brain cancer super very aggressive geoblastoma brain cancer Jesus Christ so from married at this time yeah so I was still married to my ex-husband at this time and so it was you know from a Sunday when she wasn't feeling very well to Wednesday morning she had surgery came out of surgery okay oh that night went to sleep and never woke up and so it was just like you know, this super fast, like we didn't even know what the hell was going on. And the next thing, you know, like she's in a coma and we're taking her off life support. And like the doctor said that it was, um, the type of cancer she had just in the aggressiveness of it. She probably only had the tumor for two months, which is why she wasn't exhibiting really any signs until right at the last minute. Um, But I like after looking back on it and reflecting on that, like I truly, truly believe that it was like all the trauma and everything that she just kept inside herself for so long, Mm -hmm. because like I said, she was one of 10 kids, but I know that she never talked about anything that was going on with between her and my dad to anybody, like maybe to my sisters and I, but she didn't talk to her sisters about it. She didn't talk to like anybody because it was, again, you you want to keep that a secret. You don't want people to know what's going on 
and what's happening. So she kept all of that inside with no outlet whatsoever. And then I look at like, okay, she would come to me and say, Hey, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And I'm going, well, why don't you just leave him? And so I'm not really giving her the most support. I'm just saying, you know, why are you staying and, and trying to push her into a place that she wasn't comfortable going at that time, but she didn't know how to ask for help or support either. But I truly think like that was that trauma in her body that she just, it didn't have an outlet and it manifested into this tumor that eventually, you know, Ooh. very quickly took her life. So Jesus, I'm so sorry. That is like horrible. Yeah. Like, and she was, she was 54 at the time. Oh I mean, she was God, young. So incredibly young. young. And yep. not even to mention her life prior to your dad. Like how did she end up in that cycle? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So who yes. knows and, what else right. has been shoved, like yep. shoved under the carpet because that's what everyone does is just sweep it. Yes. Don't talk about it. Sweep it. Cover and it nobody up. talks about that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah. is like so traumatic. Like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I can't even imagine going through something like that. Did you have children at the time? So at that time, um, I had my oldest um, and she was about a year and a half when that happened. Um, how was, so your, by, how was your ex-husband during the birth of your child and being pregnant and things like that? So, yeah. So going back to that, when I graduated college, um, I had gotten a job offer for a place that was about three and a half hours from where I lived or had grown up in Toledo. And I accepted that job offer. So we kind of came to like the first like point in our relationship where it was, okay, we're both graduating. Um, I've got this, this job offer to go work. I'm, I'm going to go. You're either coming with me or you're not. So um, he decided to come with me and we moved and um you know, I had told him at that point, you know, you know, I want somebody who's, I want to be the one who's working. I want to be the one who's bringing in money because again, I have this independence and I don't want to have to rely on anybody. And I want somebody who's going to be a stay at home parent. So he had agreed to that. We moved and we, we lived down there probably, I'd say a couple of years before we even got married and his addiction at that point, um, and he was transitioning into painkillers at that point as well. Oh shit! Um, and he was, um, and he was just kind of starting to go down that road. And I told him, you know, I'm not going to repeat the same things that my mom did. I do not want that life. Um, so he did actually go to rehab. He did oh. an inpatient for about 30 days. Wow! Came out, stayed clean for probably six months, maybe a little bit longer. And our wedding had been planned. So at the time that we got married, he was actually clean. Um, things were going pretty well. Um, and then maybe a few months after our wedding, and, and this was at the time, I didn't know, but he was starting to get back into it again. Now, I think there was probably a part of me that knew, but there was also that denial piece and that part of me that was like, no, it's going to be different. You know, we're going to have this happy life and this, that, and the other. And so we kind of just like continued on down that road and, and me pretending to not know what was going on and him mm-hmm. starting to get back into what he was doing. So about a couple of years, um, maybe a, a year after that or so, we decided we wanted to start having kids. And we tried for a while. It was about a year, year and a half that we tried before I finally got pregnant with my oldest daughter. Um, 
And again, we kind of had, once I did get pregnant, we kind of had that conversation again. Hey, I don't want this life. You have to clean up your act or I'm not, I'm not sticking around. I'm not dealing with it. So same thing as before he cleaned himself up. He, you know, got some help. I had my oldest, yeah, I had my oldest daughter. And um, again, so he's going to be the stay at home dad because I'm going to work. And so he stayed home with her and things again, went really well for about six months and he was doing really good. And I mean, just was like an amazing, amazing dad um, when he's you know not under the influence of things and just things were going well. And then he kind of started to get into it again. Oh. And then she was about a year and a half when my mom passed away. And um, so at that point it was, okay, now I know things are happening again. I've got all this stress of my mom passing away and, you know, what are we going to do? And so at that point, I wasn't like mentally in a place where I was even considering leaving or doing anything different. Surviving. Yes. Basically. Yeah. I'm surviving at that point. Um, And it's weird because I, I look back at it too. And I definitely was in a spot where I like, I wasn't feeling any of my emotions. So even though I wasn't necessarily numbing myself in any way, but I was, I was not allowing myself to feel anything. So whether that was happiness, sadness, you know, joy, anger, anything, it was like, I just was completely numb. And I was living this double life. Like I had my, my life at work where I was again, striving for perfection, excellence. I was exceeding. I was, you know, just doing really, really, really well at work. Um, And then I had this home life that I didn't want anybody to know what was going on. So it was all very hush hush. It was all very, yeah, everything's fine. There's, you know, we have no problems. Things are great. Um, And you're just living that lie. And I was living a double life, which is freaking exhausting, Mm -hmm. absolutely exhausting to keep you know, those types of secrets and things. So about another year went by and, um, I got pregnant with my second daughter. Um, so at this point he's, you know, definitely down the road of things are not going well. Um, at this point he still has the painkiller addiction and he is also now selling painkillers as well. So you have, you have your husband, that's relapsed numerous times and has tried. Correct. Yeah. It's now selling probably opioids. Yep. That's his choice. Where's your dad? How is, what what happened to your dad when your mom passed? Where, where, where? So um, the first maybe six months or so um, he was, he was staying at um, the house that my parents owned together. And so my mom had some insurance money and he did use some of that money to help like my sister's um, with like buying houses and things like that. And, but he was using that money to live on, but I mean, he still had his addiction and it was completely active. So he ran through that money fairly quickly Oh, I bet. and ended up, um, moving in with my sister, which she at that point was raising her daughter as a single mom. Um, and so he was helping out just with, you know, my niece, his granddaughter and things like that. Um, so he ended up moving in with her and he still lives with her to this day. And, and she's, you know, they fight like cats and dogs, but she can't control what he does either. And he still does what he does. And it's like seeing my mom all over again as an enabler, but she doesn't know what to do to not. Um, 
you know, they're not enable him. It's just, wow. but she doesn't want to kick him out. And it's the same, same kind of stuff. Oh God. Yeah. And then, okay. So yeah. you have your second daughter and your ex is now selling drugs. And then what Correct. happened? Yep. So I, it was probably my second daughter was maybe almost a year old. And I just was at the point that I'm like, I like, I don't want to do this. And so the first time in our entire relationship, the word divorce starts coming out. And I'm like, I do not want to live like this. And I was finally, I was finally starting to like push that denial aside a little bit. Like, it's not like I have to face the reality that things aren't as perfect as I'm making myself believe that they are. And that, you know, I'm starting with my mom being gone at that point for about two years, I'm starting to reflect a little bit back on, you know, how I felt in in it. I hate to say it, but like I resented her for staying in that situation as long as she did, because truly deep down, I believe that's what killed her. And I also knew that I grew up seeing that and thinking that that kind of life was okay. And I started thinking to myself, okay, I've got two daughters now. I don't want them to see the exact things that I saw and think that they have no other choice and that that's their only option is to stay married and to stay with somebody who, um, you know, as much as I believe in marriage, somebody who, who doesn't, you know, isn't willing to help themselves and, and has, you know, these addictions and things going on because at that point he's so far into it that he doesn't even want help. Like he's not like the, the word rehab is no longer even in his vocabulary. He's just doesn't, doesn't want to change. And so I'm realizing, okay, I'm not going to be able to force that change or to, you know, to make him want to get better. Um, and so right around the time that my youngest turned one, um, I had an opportunity with work to change my position that would require me to move um, to the Sandusky area. So about three hours away from where we were living. And I said, okay, we're gonna, you know, I wanna go. And he's like, all right, we're gonna go, we're gonna move. It's gonna be a fresh start. You know, things are gonna be better. And he's telling me that, you know, we're gonna change and everything's gonna be better. So moving company comes, packs everything up, um, I bought a new house in the Sandusky area and we leave. Now we still had our house where we lived um, in Southern Ohio that we were in the process of remodeling and he was doing most of the work himself. So he's working on the house and it was in just not ready to be sold at all. So he says, okay, I'll stay down here, you know, for six months or however long it takes and get the house ready to sell. You go ahead and go up there and start working. And at that point, the girls are kind of spending a week down there with him, a week up here with me. And I think back to that now, like, God, what the hell kind of situations were they in, in those weeks that they were down there with him while I was up here trying to like get ready and get our house together and stuff for, you know, for us to get together. So about, uh, I'd say maybe like four months goes by and um, the house down there still isn't coming along because obviously he's not spending any time working on it. He's spending all his time running drugs or just doing whatever he's doing. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, um, you know, I, it's not safe for the girls to be there. Like I got to figure out how to get them up here, get daycare figured out something because I don't want them down there anymore. And it was right around that time um, that I get a message 
from a girl who says, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm in a relationship with your husband. And so the whole time I'm up here, you know, trying to keep my career going and getting Mm. this house and everything unpacked and ready to go for our family. He's down there with a girlfriend who's probably taking care of my kids while I'm up here. And it was just like, that was the point that the light bulb went off. Like all the other things that were going on, because like things I didn't mention, obviously I'm the only one working. So he's draining my bank account every other day stealing, you know, my debit card, stealing checks. I, I, there was one point I had to call the bank and say, listen, if, if he writes a check out to cash, you know, forging my signature, do not, do not honor any more checks that say cash, um, change all my pin numbers, you know, hide all of my my credit card information, everything. Now, once I moved, that was a little bit easier to like, keep that away from him. But at the time, I'm paying two mortgages, I'm paying two electric bills, two water bills, two cell phone bills, everything. And he's living down there with, you know, this girl. And I'm living up here trying to figure out like, how do I continue to make ends meet because he's taking all the money and spending it on God knows what. How did he treat you during this? Like, like, Um, even when you were doing the divorce thing, and and even prior to that, like, was he, uh, I mean, addicts are abusive. Like, was he verbally abusive? Was he like a physical no, guy? Like, he, no, it it was more so like um, emotional neglect. Um, he's just yes. a very, very kind person at heart. So there was never any physical anything. Um, rarely, I mean, rarely he would even raise his voice. He just wasn't, that's not his demeanor. But it was a lot of um, emotional neglect. Like I couldn't, I couldn't talk to him there was no physical intimacy at all. I mean, outside of like the couple of kids we had, there was, there was not much at all. And for me, like my love language is physical touch. So it was like completely like, I wasn't, we were like roommates basically is, is about all it was. Yeah. Um, but except yeah, it's really hard for me. Leech, like a roommate that's leeching everything, right. draining <laughs> exactly. everything that they possibly can from exactly. your body and bank account. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Full on. That's like his, that, I mean, I want to assume that this was a bottom for him. Like, this is like, your wife just got a new job. Thank God for that job, Mindy. Right. Like, exactly. The universe was like, ding, yes. ding, 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 yep. ding, ding, like, cause it just uncovered and yep. just made it all come to the surface like well and I think about that too like had I not moved up here for that job like would I have continued to stick it out would I have you know believed this girl or not like you know because at that point I was like all right he's not really doing what he's not holding up his end of the bargain as far as like getting the house done so he can move up here and we can start over like that's all not happening so like that was like a huge turning point too, where finally I'm like, all right, wow. that's it. Like it's over. So, um, I remember, that it was, but that's what it took. Isn't that interesting? That is what it took. Like that was my rock bottom too. And that's why I said it was so bizarre because it was almost like a light switch. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like everything just kind of came rushing to the surface. Like I've been literally living the same life that my mom lived with my dad that I always, always, always said I wouldn't do. And I never would want my kids to see that. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? So that was like the turning point for me. 
And I thought really long and hard about it. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up in that family life where they're, you know, kids of a divorced parents and, no. you know, they're different. But then I thought about the alternative, which <laughs> yeah. is I stay with them. And so I'm like, absolutely not. And I want them to see that, you know, because then I was basically saying I'm going to be a single mom. So I hit in six months time, I had bought a house, moved, started a brand new job, moved to an area that I didn't know anybody. I mean, I was an hour away from my closest friend or family, didn't know anybody, started a brand new job. My position, I was the plant manager where I was working. So it was a super high stressful job. Um, Oh my God. Like I was on 24 seven. I was a single mom now at this point. So like all these life changes, like all kind of happened at once, but I was like, I have to, I have to, like, I have to show them that they don't have to live that life and they, you know, can escape from that. So made, you know, got them up here with me, basically contacted him and, and was like, listen, I'm done paying all of your bills. I'm done. Um, you know, supporting you financially, you're going to have to figure it out. Like I was still paying the mortgage for the house that was there because it was in my name as well. But, um, kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm going to file for divorce and I don't think we should be together. And he kind of freaked out because he's like, okay, here's, you know, here's my meal ticket that's, that's heading out the door. And now I've got to, for the first time in my adult life, you know, support myself. What am I going to do? So he kind of freaked out a little bit, but even with all of that, still never said, I'm going to go get clean. I'm going to get help. I'm going to go rehab anything like that. Like he just wasn't, he wasn't there. So, you know, we, I know, but that's hurtful. Like I can relate to that because it's just another person that isn't still doesn't think that you have value to show up and fight for you. Like that's how you addicts are a different thing for sure. Yeah. They're not very capable of much outside of their own freaking ego and addiction, but right, yeah, it's still a slap in the face. Like this is someone you chose to marry, and they're not even going to try to fight for. Mm-hmm. Like, that fucking sucks. I understand what mm-hmm. that feels like. Yeah, fucking sucks because it's another thing. Like, oh, here's another choice of a person that I brought in, right? My <laughs> life, <laughs> yeah, that isn't showing up for me. Yep. Yeah, like just neglect again, 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 again. Like, oh my exactly. God. Exactly. Well, and then I mean, and it extends beyond just me too, because even now, years later, like he very rarely sees the kids, very rarely. Um, it doesn't really even call, which and and I am very just upfront with them and truthful with them that, you know, he's got this sickness that he can't control. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he doesn't want to be with you. He just can't, he just can't do it. And they don't necessarily understand that. So I just try to continue to emphasize to them. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's yes. not their fault. Um, but I want to be honest with them too, because I don't want them to ever grow up and think that it was me trying to keep them from seeing him or anything right. like that either, that it was, you know, it wasn't my choice. He has this addiction. So I'm not saying that he chose to not see them, but he had opportunities to see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And your job is to make sure they're safe, seen and secure. Exactly. Exactly. That's your only job. And yes, that means, yeah, that, so you get to Sandusky and you're working this high powered job and then the divorce is happening. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, um, 
like the way we did it is we were in, and through all of this, um, and I probably just was a lot kinder than I should have been, but we, there wasn't a lot of fighting. There wasn't a lot of, you know, back and forth with lawyers or anything. Like we did a disillusion and kind of wrote out, like we, he and I talked and wrote out, here's how we're going to split things. This is what it's going to look like. Um, so I got with my lawyer and, and kind of put everything together and he didn't even, you know, have a lawyer. And I remember um, calling his girlfriend and his parents and saying, just make sure that he shows up to the court date. <laughs> like, just make sure that he comes. Cause I filed in, in the County that I lived in, which was three hours away from him and said some, you know, help me get him to court so that we can make this final because I need to protect myself and I need to protect the girls um, financially and just, need to be done with this. I need to be, I need it to be yes. over. Exactly. Yes. I need it to be done. Yep. So, um, we made that happen and kind of was like, okay, you know, clean slate, like we're good to go. And then, um, I'm at the time though, too, I'm, I'm also just going through the motions. Like, so I'm working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. I've got a 45 minute minute commute on either end. Oh I've God. got the girls who at the time are in like a daycare and a preschool that are in the same building. And I was just like going nonstop. Like it, it was almost like a blur. And it's one of those times that I thought to myself then, and I think about it now, like, I'm going to look back on this and think to myself, like, how did I even get through it? Like, how did I even do it? But it was literally like one day at a time. And it was at that point in time that I started to um, seek help for myself was Al-Anon. And I didn't know that that even was a thing until I like knew we're for sure getting divorced. I'm like, okay, I need some sort of support. And, um, I, I don't even remember how I found it, but I found Al-Anon. And it was, again, one of those things where like I started going and I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one. Like there's other people who lived in this freaking chaos world that I've lived in my whole life and thought I was the only one. And that was very comforting to me because it was, I finally felt like that sense of belonging, like, okay, whew, like, all right, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one who does, you know, hiding car keys and trying to control and trying to make everything look perfect and, and all of that. Like I, I, for the first time I felt like, all right, it's not just me, but that was like a huge, huge relief. Ooh. And that was where like, I really kind of started my healing from all of that because I was now out of that denial stage and recognizing like, this is what was going on. And this is where, you know, my life had gone just from the time I was little that, okay, all right, I can, you know, I can heal from this. I can get better from this. Um, so that was like a lifesaver for me, like huge, mm. huge lifesaver for me. And, and to be able to, that was the very first time in my life that I was able to talk openly about like what had been going on. So the entire time, like I was growing up with my parents, I never breathed a word about what was happening with my closest friends with anybody. I mean, like my sisters, because they lived it too. Like that's who, if I had talked to somebody about it, like that's who it was. When I was with my ex-husband, it was like, nobody knew. I not even, I wouldn't even tell like my sisters what was going on. I wouldn't tell my closest friends. It was nobody knew because it was such a huge like secret that I didn't want anybody to know. And again, I think back to, okay, it was the secrets that made my mom sick. Like, yeah, you did. I just would think you did exactly what you knew yeah. and what you were talking yep. about. Like you yep. did. Yep. Yes. So I get, 
I get to that point and I'm like, this is the first time in my life. In the very first meeting I went to, my youngest sister came with me and like, I was like, my pits were sweaty. Like I was so nervous because I knew it was time. Like it was time to just say, this is what's going on. And I remember in that meeting, like I, it was like my turn to speak and I just was kind of saying stuff. And I remember my sister just looking at me like, oh my gosh, because she didn't even know some of this stuff that I was like saying. And, and I was just kind of like word vomit, like it all came out. And like, I would go back every week and it would just be like more and more. And I finally felt like, okay, I can get some of this off my chest. And it was seriously like a physical release to just like get it out because it had been like so like I was I stuffed my feelings I stuffed my emotions I stuffed everything and it was just I carried all that right so I was finally like able to get that out and I was like oh my gosh like this is it's such a such a freeing experience to know that I don't have to live with those secrets anymore and that I'm not going to be judged by you know everybody because and then that's when I also started to realize too like I'm not the only one (laughs) with these kinds of experiences so there are people that now I can relate to that I understand like have gone through similar things because I I'm I'm honest to God thought for ever a long time like it's just me and it's just my family like we're the only ones that and even with like the opioid epidemic as big as it was I always in the back of my mind thought well nobody there's no way that other people are experiencing this like it's definitely like it's just us like we're the only ones and and it's not no right it's crazy yes it's everywhere still like it's still exactly yeah it's that is completely fucked up it's I I don't know how you found your how you found Al-Anon like how did you I I can't I honestly can't even remember I might have just somebody 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 may have told you like you should go to yeah but yeah like, like I had to have heard it somewhere because I just know I remember sitting one day like on my phone and just like looking up where to go, where to go to an Al-Anon meeting. So I had to have heard it somewhere and found, and I remember the very first one I was going to go to, I got there and I found like a listing online and I got to the church or wherever it was at and it was canceled. And I just remember sitting in the parking lot, like, oh my gosh, like it's canceled. And I'd mustered up all this courage to go. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, crap. So then I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to give up. So a couple of days later, there was another meeting in a different place. And I went there and then I was like, okay, yeah, like this is. Did you continue? Yeah, Um, yeah, I did for for a few years um, until I, until I moved here. And, and the cool thing too was, um, you know, it's very similar to AA where they recommend like you have a sponsor and things like that. So I had a a lady who was my sponsor and her profession, she was retired, but her profession had been um, a therapist and she specialized in you know, people who grew up with like, um, oh wow, like the way I grew up. So it, I was like super, super fortunate that like that was my person to go to and to talk to, and um, that I had just a lot of similar experience with and was able to talk to her. So that was like amazing. Yes. Yeah. Like what a blessing she was for you. Oh yeah, to absolutely. Find her. Like oh my god. Yeah. So- what else did Mindy do after that to grow and learn? So, I mean, not, that, not that out, not like you haven't done it. Oh yeah, any yeah. By, by it all. But where have you found um, yourself? Because a lot of this is just the cycle. Like it's interesting. Your story is really interesting. You're a complete badass that you have this like understanding to protect your kids and understanding to, to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. 
like your ability to see through it because you obviously have siblings that do not get the same. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is no judgment. It's just people's paths are different. Yeah. But you were very apparent. You knew before you knew. Yeah, right, <clears throat> right. You knew. you knew, you knew the whole time and you made all these amazing choices in a very compo- composed way, which is fucking unheard of. I don't understand how you did it. It's admirable, but like, how did you find yourself? You didn't live for you. You were living for the expectations <laughs> of the stuff put upon you and you were killing yes. You were totally doing it so much so that you were running yourself into the ground. Right. Like, especially right. for your daughters, especially for like a time of divorce, it is survival mode, which I find mm-hmm. interesting in your story too, mm-hmm. because of the survivor mode could kill you, but it also saves you. Like, right. Like yeah. you, your, your ability to say, okay, this is day to day. I have to work, you know, 45 minutes commute. I have to take my kids. I have to do these things. I have to do the element, like your mm-hmm. ability to just shuffle and compartmentalize yourself and, in a crisis. Yeah. And that's what it was. A lot of compartmentalizing. Yeah. Just putting it in these boxes just to survive because that's yeah. how, that's what we need. Um, so what, when you were, when you finally got to not surviving and you were yeah. thriving, what, do, what are your choices? What are you doing to help yourself now? And how, what have you become since how many years has it been? since you've left him? Um, we split in the summer of 2016 is when I moved. Okay. So and wow. then the, like the decision for the divorce was in like November of that year, but our divorce like, wasn't final shit. until um, March of 2019. Right. So we had it. And again, that's where like, I had to reach out to his family and his girlfriend right. and say, get him up here, make sure he shows up because it was just dragging on and on and on. And it was, you know, paperwork's been sent and it's not getting signed. And so that was two years, like that. two years, Those two back. years of it dragging, mm-hmm. it dragging on. So you've yeah. had a good two years to yeah. be unattached to him. Right and help yourself, which right. obviously Al-Anon's helped you. What else? What else has Mindy found so, to like empower and be you? So um, in in the January of 2018, I also um, got really into like my health and wellness and fitness. And um, I had a friend that I'd gone to high school with who reached out to me about joining her and what she was doing um, with her health and fitness business. And so I got very into that. And that was like the first time in my life where it was like, okay, I'm doing something for me that Mm. I don't care, you know, what anybody else thinks about it or what anybody else's expectation is about it. Like, this is just going to be for me and really got dialed in with understanding um, just how to relieve stress through like the avenue of like working out and things like that. And I always like worked out on and off and did things like that, but it was more to get to a point of, I want to look like this, or I want this particular body shape or something like that. Like whatever the, you know, again, I'm trying to fit this mold of this perfect person. So every time I had done it in the past, it was more of a, it's because I want to fit what the physical mold is supposed to be. Um, so this time around, it was more, this is all about treating myself and my body the way that I know is going to protect me health-wise and, you know, give me energy and things like that. So I really spent a lot or I still, you know, spend a lot of time just focused on, you know, eating right, getting enough sleep, like all the self-care things. And 
I would hear, you know, over the years, people talk about, you know, you gotta take care of yourself and fill your cup. And I always thought that was so just like a bunch of BS because I, because it was like, I didn't think it was real. You know, it, it just was just like, time? I didn't think it was real. Exactly. Like, how do you have fucking time to do that? It, how do you exactly. make time? How do you find time? And it's so much yep. toxic positivity where it's so much of people being like, you know, you can do it. Just, right. just find time to do it. Like, no, right. it, it's right. a lot harder than that. It yes. Is, especially it, to go in, like, especially the first yeah. time. It was definitely like a decision. It was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to prioritize myself. I'm going to give myself that time and that attention that I've been looking for from everybody else. I'm going to give it, do it for me. It's going to be for me because I want to feel good physically, you know, emotionally. And this is a huge way for me to, for me to do that. So, um, that's what I've really been into here recently is, you know, focusing on that, helping other people kind of like find that, you know, that love for, for themselves through that avenue. So that's been, that's been really good. I have, I've also changed jobs again. Um, and this is another just bizarre thing. So the company that I worked for when I was in Sandusky um, had changed owners and um, there was a new um like like almost like a financial holdings company who had bought the the place that I had worked since I was in college and and had worked right after I graduated. Um, so the entire time I was there, like I said, I excelled. I did very well. I did exactly you know like I was climbing that ladder and doing exactly what I was supposed to do. And um, my career path had always been very um, planned out. Like I had good relationships with all my managers and and just kind of planned it out. And, and I was at a point where. Um, we had all brand new managers because when they bought the company, they, you know, kind of got rid of a lot of people and, and brought new people in. And about six months into that, I was called down to like the main, the main mill and basically told, um, that they wanted me to come back down there. And it was just very, it was very odd. I've never had anything happen like this before. So I, I drive down there for this meeting and they say, okay, you know, based on your skill set that you have, we need you down here. Um, they wanted me down there in a, about a two-week time frame. And the guy says to me, you're just going to have to call your kid's school and see if you can get them out of school early and they'll still let them graduate to the next grade. Um, he says, I understand that your ex-husband lives down here. I don't know what your relationship's like with him, but you're going to have to figure it out. We'll get you some temporary housing until you find a place to live and, and we'll figure out how to sell your house where you're at now. And, you know, we'll see you in two weeks. And I was like, the fuck you will. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. I, it was just the craziest thing. Like he, he looked at me and he said, I can see on the look on your face that you've got some questions. So why don't you think about it and just get back to me? So I get in my car and I'm driving back to, you know, my job and um, I remember I called my sister and I was, and she, I said, they're going to, you know, they want me to move back. They're going to make me move back. They're not giving me an option. And she was like, well, you're not going, are you? And I was like, I don't know, because at this point now I'm divorced. My divorce was, I was probably two months. I'd been divorced about two months mm. at the time. So I was sole custody. I was in charge completely hundred percent financially for the girls, all their medical, everything fell on my shoulders because I was getting mm. no support from their yes. dad. He's not doing anything. So it's understand all understand that pressure. I understand yeah. that pressure. That is hard. Yeah. So oh. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming, I'm driving home and 
I started seeing somebody and, and, you know, I talked to him and he says, whatever you do, I support you hundred percent. Like, he's not going to tell me one way or another, but he just wants me to know he supports me either way. So I get back to the, um, to my office and I no sooner, it was a three, three and a half hour drive. I no sooner sit down at my desk and I get a text message from, you know, my boss down there saying, have you told your team yet? Cause we want to put the announcement out. And I was like, no, I, I can't because I like, he obviously has no, like compassion whatsoever for what's going on. Like it's a hundred percent business. And I'm like, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. So I wrote my resignation letter and I remember like hitting send on the computer and my heart just dropping. Like I just put huge for you, Mindy, huge for you to job. do that. Huge this, for you. Yeah. Like, and I, I mean, I had worked there outside of, outside of, you know, waitressing and, and bartending and what I did in high school and college, that was the only other job I'd ever had. I'd worked there. That well, was it. You are very much in line. You do not disappoint people. Exactly. Like you yes. do not do yes. this. You're never this person. Right. So like right. you were like, no, I hate that. Right. Because I'm a huge people pleaser. <laughs> yes. And that mentality of like yeah. these people that think they own you and like, don't mansplain yeah. me. Don't tell me I have to exactly. come live by well, my next, my ex-husband. I have to live here next to my fucking, no, like you right. don't tell me. Yep. Yeah, this like, you know, 75 year old man telling me, here's what you're going to do. And I was like, uh, yeah. And so, good. Yeah. So that was like huge. And then it was like, okay, now, now what? Now, what do I do? So um, I ended up staying for like 30 days just to help transition the new person in. And in the meantime, I was looking for a job and everything. And so I did find a new job really quickly, actually. And, um, that I love what I'm doing now. There's still stress. It's, it's not as high stress as what it was, but definitely not as many hours. Um, I ended up moving. So I live like five minutes away. So I don't have that commute anymore. Um, moved back home to the Toledo area where I'm from. The girls go to the same grade school I went to growing up, which is awesome because I'm like, oh, there's still teachers there from when I was there. Like that's just a really cool yeah. thing for me because I always loved school so much. So I'm like, oh, they're going to get a similar experience with school yeah. that I had that I loved. Yeah. Um, so that's all been like extremely, extremely positive and just, you know, reconnecting that's with you know, friends and things. Because it, And that was the thing too, was like, the whole time all this was going on, like I had put up so many walls and disconnected myself from people in general Mm. that now being back and doing what I'm doing with like my, you know, health and wellness coaching and things like that. Like I'm starting to build those connections again with people. And it's like, okay, I was always so afraid of people because I didn't want them to judge me or to think I was different. And so that was always like, so tough for me. Whereas now I'm just like, you, you like me or you don't, you love me or you don't. And that's on you. And that's not on me. And I'm just going to be me. And if, if that's not what you like, that's fine. Then yeah. we don't have to be friends. Right. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't have to be loved by everybody and that's okay. Yeah. Yes. And it's okay to disappoint people. It's okay. Yeah. Like that decision, that moment in your life to be able to send that email. That's like, no, I'm quitting my job. How incredibly like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, I'm in charge of this. Like right? the reality of like, I get to choose Absolutely. my life. I get and to I, make these choices. It's I so think beautiful. about that. Like, had I not been doing what I was doing with Al-Anon and with, you know, the coaching and stuff like that, like, I don't know that I would have had the confidence to do that. I probably would have said, yes, sir, where do I sign? And I'll be there in two weeks per your request or demand really is what it was. 
um, I, I don't know that I would have been able to do that. So yes, like super, super fortunate. And you're in your body again, which is huge. Like mm-hmm. yeah, nutrition and the exercise thing that you have going on, like ah, there's so many people, humans that have had the similar pasts that they don't mm-hmm. talk about. And I think a lot of neglect from childhood, well, at least in my own experience, the patterns of neglect become, you end up choosing other people mm-hmm. to neglect you, but you, you neglect your body. You make choices right. that you don't see value. So like the other part of this, that's so incredible is your daughters mm-hmm. are seeing how right. you value yourself. Having them be able to say, my mom spends time on Sundays making multiple yeah. for the rest of meal the prepping Just and meal yeah. prepping because she cares about yeah. what she puts in her body and because she values herself, right? That right. she makes time for herself. And this is like, those are such huge yeah. things that your daughters get to witness and see. Right. I mean, there's right. so many beautiful things, Mindy, that you're teaching them without yeah. verbally telling them just by example. Yeah. Oh, and they'll, they, you know, they see me, you know, get up and do my workouts every day and stuff like that too, to the point that like, they'll say, did you work out today? Because they know that that is like, it's just a, that's a part of what I do now. Like that is just who I am now. And it's, it's a huge part of just how I feel about myself and, and my health and things yeah. like that. So, and yeah. if we do, I do talk to them too, about how it is important to, you know, move your body and to, you know, love yourself enough to give yourself the time to take care of yourself and you have to put yourself first. And, you know, I want them to see that too. And to know that too, that, um, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself because that's another thing too, when you're in that, you know, that codependent relationship, it's doctor's appointments, go out the window, you know, all those things, because you're so focused on the other person and how they're doing and whether they're okay or not okay. And are they having a good day, a bad day? Are they using today? Are they not? That becomes your life and and your own self-care just goes out the window and, and there's nothing. So I want them to see that too, that like, I, you know, I care about myself enough and love myself enough that I'm going to put forth the effort to take care of me and that they need to see that. Yes. Yes. And you're right about the codependency. Like you Mm -hmm. end up living every day for someone else. Like their roller coaster. Yep. You're just on the fucking ride with that. Yes. And and baby and making sure they're putting their little sippy cup in in there, making sure they're, you know, like it's, I say it with such sarcasm and anger, but it's because addicts addicts have no idea how the impact of Mm -hmm. like, yeah. So taxing on everybody around them and they're oblivious to it. Yeah. And you like live in a world of uh, almost like just straight, you're constantly in trauma response. Like it's what, mm-hmm. what, what's now, what's now, what's, what's next, what's next? Like you never get a chance to grow for yourself or spend time yeah. with yourself or, and especially when you're dealing with it as a child, it's like tenfold when you become an adult mm-hmm. because you're like, right. what? so it's incredible that you're, you've come so far and you've been able to do this and that you've enabled yourself to make better decisions for you and Mm -hmm. um, empowered yourself to make this like being able to make decisions and and controlling truly controlling the narrative yeah right of what that narrative is like I think a lot of people 
go, they go through they go through this kind of similar story. It is about the secrets. Yeah, it always goes back to like your narrative. What's your narrative? What what mask are you wearing today? Exactly. Yes. Take the fucking mask yes. off. You know. Yeah. Like, what am I going to let the world see today? Yeah. yeah. And how you show yeah. up for work. Yep. How you show what you share. And I'm not saying that there is a a world that we should live in where everyone spills their guts everywhere they go. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> but you know, there's like this this. I think I I'm hopeful that our society is slowly moving to a more accepted way. The, the Midwest mentality of yeah. uh, union workers and blue collar workers can, you know, just so, so much toxic masculinity and how men yeah. were, are expected of like baby boomers and the freaking, you know, working for Jeep, working for whatever, like it's dudes <laughs> drinking, yep being sexist, just spewing out more children that they teach the same thing to without. Exactly. And what you've done is you've broken a huge fucking cycle from a Mm -hmm. matriarchal point of view. Like you single-handedly in your family alone by yourself has said, fuck no. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Huge, huge. Yeah. So incredibly hard. People spend their whole lives not even knowing that there's a cycle. They spend their yeah. whole fucking life not even knowing that there's a cycle they're in. Yeah. And huge for your daughters, Mindy. Like yeah. what you've done is huge. I mean, they too little, but down the road, like, yeah, you've broken it. They're not going to have the same childhood as you. They're exactly. Not, they are not in any way, shape, or form, except yeah. maybe the attic father. But right not day to day they don't exactly have to, they don't have to know the codependency roles they don't have yep. to know what it's like to go hide and be shameful absolutely you yeah. should be so proud of yourself like I don't know how many times you celebrate yourself in a day but you should definitely do it more often Wow, Mindy. Thank you so much for coming on and reaching out to me. And I absolutely loved reconnecting with you. Uh, I just had such a wonderful time being with you and hearing your story. You're a badass. Uh, Mindy's nonprofit is the Art Tatum Zone. If you don't know who Art Tatum is, he is a jazz musician out of Toledo, Ohio. And Toledo doesn't have a lot of famous people. But let me tell you, Art Tatum was a jazz musician. That is amazing. Um, And the Art Tatum Zone is a non-for-profit neighborhood revitalization organization which shares its vision and leadership and exists to improve the human condition one person at a time. It's amazing. I also researched, and they even do some uh, high school and academic support and career readiness programs. Uh, It's just a lot. They're, They're all over the city just helping, much like my non-profit Rahab Sisters. Sounds a lot like... The similarities of radical hospitality, which is going into things with no judgment, which is going into things with an open heart, no open mind, and just giving and being and accepting people as they are and giving them the help that they need, right? That's what we should be all doing together. So I'll put all these links up per usual. And again, thank you, listener, for concluding season two with me. I'm looking forward to what's on the, the horizon, season three. And I'm looking forward and excited to see what kind of guests I get on and what that looks like. Uh, I cannot wait. I'm pretty sure it's going to be amazing. I I know I've got a few 
in the back burner here that I can't wait to release. So anyway, I love you. Thanks for listening and stay well. Thanks.